This is Mission.org. You want to do pace at scale, you have to be deliberate. A, you got to be data driven. B, you got to simplify every chance you get. And C, you can't expect to get everything right every time. It's too big a system. Okay, there's going to be chaos in the system. You've got to understand that it's not perfection. So I'm way more into the incremental at a clip rate that's fast, but continuous improvement every month. What's the best path forward for marketing teams tasked with the challenge? of helping a company grow. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today's guest, Roy Rataller, the Chief Product and Marketing Officer at Flexera, a company that helps businesses manage and maximize their IT. Roy discusses the growth imperative he received when he first got the job and why in order to fulfill it, he decided to simplify. Tune in to hear his enlightening and inspiring approach to growth That's all about getting back to the basics. Let's get into it. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. So the, the relationship between a CMO and a CEO, it's an important partnership across the ELT. You didn't have a relationship with your CEO prior to you joining. So Correct. what's the what, what's some of these conversations like? Because were you thinking about getting a CMO? Like, did you want a CMO role? Is that what you were kind of open to or? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I wasn't looking. I had a great job. I was loved where I was at. Uh-huh. It was 100% good. We'd gone through the wars and I was in my three year at VMware. It was, I can't say anything bad about that place. It's been, it was great. I have to tell you, I wasn't open to, I wasn't really looking for CMO, but okay. I love marketing. Okay. I was in a product marketing role before I was there. And they needed somebody who did marketing that really got the products, right? They did great marketing at Flexera. In retrospect, I've learned a lot about it. Amazing. But it was higher level and didn't connect well enough to the value prop, didn't connect about, you know, enough okay. to the customer, just a little bit too high, you know, too high. The thing I was looking for was impact. And that's such a platitude. But it, the ability to get in a room and make a decision and make it stick. And while I love VMware, it was got a lot. It, even when I was there, it had gotten bigger. There were a lot of acquisitions. And so the ability to get that done was diminished when I was there. And this was, and I'm telling you, it was, I, I got it right. Like wow. it, it was awesome. And it's kind of in a sweet spot size. You know, we're, we're 1,300, 1,500 people, which is global, big, 
all customers, you know, 50,000 customers had the size, but the decision-making, the path length is like that. Wow. And yeah, so you got to bring your game and it's cool. How did you determine that was going to be an, the case for you just in outside looking in that you were going to be able to step in and, you know, how did you, how did you? Well, like as an, oh, so it, so advice for anybody getting a job. Okay. So it goes two ways. So years and years ago, and the company shall remain nameless, but it was here in Austin. I always said the company has to prove itself to you as much as you have to prove it yourself to the company. Okay. Maybe that's high-minded, but I've always kind of thought that way. And so you get this feeling of the people in the company, if they're committed or not, if they're the right kind of people you can work with, are they in it to win it? Are they good people, you know, and they don't want to solve problems. And I just kept getting that reinforced. So you got to, it, it's one of those, you always take a risk when you're getting hired, but you better convince yourself it's the right environment to go into. You are selling yourself to them, but they're also selling themselves to you. Wow. And you got to meet, meet in the middle, right? You started to get this perspective after talking to people there yeah. and realizing like, okay, we, there's a level of commitment here. There's right. There's a level of impact. So you start to realize that this opportunity becomes an amazing next step. Correct. And yeah. I, I, you know, it was funny because I knew, I knew I had to get along with Ken, who's the CRO, chief revenue officer. Got it. We'd had to have chemistry. I met with the CFO. You got to be able to talk money, right? You have to be able to deal with that. I met with the chief growth officer who's doing M&A, Eric. Amazing. But then I made sure I, I just interviewed more widely. I ended up putting probably 10 interviews on my own docket. Wow. Well, I just wanted to make sure and that the people were, it wasn't just sales. It was actually legit. Sure. And it went down a level and people got it, right? And they did. This is so important. I mean, it's, some, it's something that I don't think is talked about a lot. And that is just the, the way a CMO, a modern day CMO mm -hmm. gets to align with the executive leadership team. It's such a unique role. You know, and so how you're building trust with the CRO and the CIO, especially with, you know, the MarTech stack and IT and like having to be really connected there oh, yeah. into operations, into finance, like in your seat. You're a driver of the company. You could say you're a service organization and, you know, but you're definitely horizontal, but you're pushing, right? right. You're pushing the agenda forward, high level and all the way down into feeding sales. So you're going to do all of it and feeding customer success. So it's no longer the department of advertising or the department of brand, even though those, that's important, right? It's just yeah. an element of what you got to do. So yeah, I mean, I had to check it out. Well, otherwise you're going to be there. Okay. Like for example, I have a great friend of mine, his name is John and he's a classic COO venture capital dude. And I've always loved him because I've always been able to just tell him like it is. A lot of people are scared of him. He walks in a room, everybody's like, oh no. Right. And I'm just like, he's my friend, John. So I applied that to our own CFO, COO, and David's amazing, but I have to have a relationship with him. And it, like, he'll take me on in a heartbeat as he should, uh -huh. but it, it's a respectful peer-to-peer -peer relationship, not a, ah, oh, you know, the COO is not going to let me do something. It's not like a, you don't have to go to dad and get permission. You know what I mean? Like you have to be able to say, here's right. why, here's right. the justification, do it. I love this question and I always get lots of different answers your first 90 days there, right? I mean, yep. what, what's your approach? We've, you know, we've had Marissa Meyer who, oh, yeah. you know, joined Yahoo and then got a lot of slack because it seemed like she wasn't doing anything, kind of listening. And, you know, then you have others who jump immediately into meeting with the team and, and kind of doing different things. So what was your approach on the first 90 days at Flexera? So I'm not your, I don't walk into any situation with an agenda other than to I don't. I like I, I have a plan, I have an idea, I want to move the ball forward, but you first have to you really actually have to assess it, right? And you have to see both 
what's going on you know what's the data tell you what are the people telling you are the people good are they committed what's the problems why why did the predecessor leave slash leave voluntarily or otherwise you know you have to really assess it i think you do and i think that's always the hardest part because people are sometimes depends how long the gap's been but or how big the gap is but they want action right away right while you're assessing you got to have a few wins you have to have a couple of wins up your pocket but don't i don't think you can actually change the course of the ship in the first 30 days by 90 days you do okay so i look at everything i i am the most boring person but i look at everything on a monthly cadence talk to my team okay month one month two month three here's kind of where we want to climb you know d- determine where we're at try to get buy-in from the team month two get buy-in from the team or at least figure out who's in who's out right know at that point start getting some wins on the table and then by the 90 day have a plan you can bring back up to the senior team say here's what we're doing here's where it was here's my assessment, here's the change. I don't do that in 10 days, do that in 90 days, and then commit to it after 90. And that's kind of how we did it, so. What were some of the first wins, the early wins that you were like? It's all people, everything was people. Okay. So I really love my team, okay? Now it's been interesting because I took on a second responsibility recently. I love them all, okay, but the marketing team, they had gone through a lot and they were, they had, there's, there's a pretty long gap between CMOs and they were also, given where they were in the company at the time, given the elevation versus the connection, they were not that connected into the rest of the company. Okay. They were, but it was all an individual person-to-person level, not process, not uh-huh. result, not as connected as they should have been. Okay. okay. So the first win was getting everybody, almost everybody, hands in the middle. The one thing we're going to do is come out. We're going to actually be the marketing. We're going to show up. We're going to represent and we're gonna, we're gonna provide value to the rest of the company. So that's more psychological or, or team building than anything, but that was the first win. And you know, nobody believes you when you walk in. Okay, they, well, they don't know you. They don't know you from right, anybody. Right. So you can walk in and say, man, we're gonna change the world. And they're like, yeah, sure we are, right? I mean, in their heads, they don't know you. You gotta back it up. The other thing they have to, be, everybody on the team has to know that you, they, you have their back and then they, it's a trusted environment and you have to provide examples of that so when there's something screwed up like i remember we had a budget issue okay a lot of our budget had been because of lack of data lack of really presenting data properly we just weren't getting the investment that we needed to get and everybody was complaining as they should have because we didn't have enough program to go you know make it happen you got to go up and you got to go up to david you got to go up to the cfo and say we need it and here's the examples of what we need maybe not the whole thing but i need incremental here and you do stuff like that with them, they believe you. They start wow. believing. And then eventually, we really start making things happen together. So, What are you, out of everything you're working on, like, what are you most amped about? What are you most passionate about? So I like hard problems. So we have an opportunity in the company right now. So I got okay. a new job. So I took on, I was doing CMO, and we, were, we went from those early days of getting to know each other and kind of starting to fire on more and more cylinders. That was really going on a great role. And then my beloved CEO, Jim, gave me an additional responsibility to pick up all of product management, which is product direction, product strategy. And now I have the ability to basically connect the engine, the engineering engine, to the frontline troops and customer success and sales. And I'm the loop, end to end, all in. Wow. Yeah. Imagine it's more than a MarTech stack. It's a full on customer relationship thing. So it's really cool. It's a hard problem. And there's a lot of people in the middle. And and you have an engineering background. I do. 
which I love. Uh, there's been a couple CMOs that come from engineering to CMO. Yeah. Um, I mean, and and now as I kind of zoom out and what, in my humble opinion, what it takes to be a really good modern day CMO is you've got to have that right left brain, the art and the science. Mm-hmm. So I find, mm-hmm. or at least, you know, you have to be able to tap in and connect to both of those areas. You have the engineering, you're now in the CMO seat. It tells me a lot about kind of how you're thinking about art and science of marketing. Mm-hmm. There's been others that we've had on too, that, and you can just tell where I think maybe in the times past to be a marketing leader, you maybe didn't have to have strengths in both of those areas. You maybe could have been more bent right. towards the other, right? but you have that interesting engineering background. Now you're, like you said, you're in this really interesting intersection of product and, and marketing and making sure things, I mean, wow. So I'm a, I like to joke, right? And not every, you shouldn't take me seriously okay, everything okay. that I say. But I used to joke that back when I was in marketing proper, because I've, I've gone back and forth, you know, across the, the great divide, dark side, light side. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I always joke about it. And when I was in, in marketing, marketing, you know, in the past, I'd always say, look, marketing's taking over the entire technology stack. Anything that's relevant, every app that's ever made is in the service of marketing. Do not give me anything. <laughs> Engineering team, right? Just don't even give me that Got stuff, it. right? But you can flip it around pretty easily, right? And you can, you know, go right back to the opposite. You know, you can say all marketing is really product marketing. The vast majority of services are product. You're selling something. You're, you're, whether you're profit, nonprofit, doesn't even in your government, right? You're selling your citizens services. You're in service of the product. And if you don't know the product and you can't connect those ends, it doesn't matter what you do, right? So to get a good brand message, to get a good advertising campaign, to do good media, you better understand the customer and the value prop, right? Mm. So that's the magic, I think. The magic's in between the two. I love that. What are you betting on for the future in terms of trends or tech or just an approach or a strategy? Well, you know, for you know, I, I hate the word mega trends, but it, one of the trends that's been going on for decades now is the technology. I was at, okay, you're going to laugh. It was in town here. I was at Dell Connect back when they used to have Dell Connect. I was working for a company called Tivoli Systems, which is why I actually sort of stuck here in Austin. And I did this whole thing about how I te- information technology was turning into business technology. Now, I was like at least 15 years ahead of my time, but whatever. Like, I remember doing it and everybody looked at it. And it, it was, you know, smart meters and talking about plant and talking about all the tech that interfaces to customers, devices, you know, in the house, in the factory, whatever. That trend is just, that's, that's a trend. That's Every piece of technology we use, there's no such thing as IT anymore. It's really technology. It's business tech. It's, and it's all embedded in profit and loss statements, right? So you're selling anything. This has been overdone, right? But everything has a technology component. If not, it's all technology, right? You may be selling all technology. And that's what we're banking on. Like Flexera, the company, if I want to push the company, we're all about managing you know, the, the spend, the cost profile, profitability, risk, of your technology like that's what we major on we're like the and we're absolute geeks about it like we're we're the guys in the with the lab coats they're delving down into everything we can find and that's really paid off for the company that's why it's been enduring for so long because that trend is it it, it, it's not done it's not done by a long shot okay it's not that any retailer any company is isn't isn't at the beginning of that cycle or in, they're by far not at the end of it so as tech proliferates as there's different form factors as you move from one to the other there's all kinds of opportunity to get it wrong or to get it unoptimized and we're all about optimizing it and that's never gonna change yeah it's like that's just a lot of my lifetime a path yeah it's like a path that will never i can just 
it'll always be available. It always is. It right. always is. And there's all, and you know, the cool thing about tech is that there's multiple generations, like a family. It's like, it's like Thanksgiving. Okay. There's just multiple generations of technology in every service or offering that you provide, unless you're a brand spanking new startup. Okay. That just got its AMIs over on Amazon. It's just doing everything new. There was a really wise um, CTO I was, had the pleasure of working with. His name is Greg Lavender, and he's at Intel now, okay? But Greg talked about different parts of applications being at different vintages, running at different speeds, but all collaborating, working together. He talked about composite apps. That's the reality. It's not like any bank in the world doesn't have multiple components. They're all running at different speeds. There's right. IBM mainframes to the you know coolest devices. So that's helpful, too, because nothing ever gets thrown out, not if it's working. Wow. You're still within your first year, right? Yep. As, as eight CM. months. Eight months. What's the new title, by the way? CMO and C. We didn't know what to do with it. Okay. So we looked around a lot. So uh depends on what I'm doing. So it, it, it's uh, we looked it's around, chief around product a lot. and a marketing officer. Okay. And there's a few of them out there. Okay. But I'm a, I'm a trendsetter on that one. Yeah. I'm saying you're, you're the first CPMO that I've, I've connected. Yeah, that's you. cool. Yeah, I know. That's a new thing. It's four letters though. So, you know, yeah. we're one too many. CPMO. Okay. Okay. Um, so... You talked a little bit about the earlier conversations with the recruiter and then with Jim and some of the folks. What did you notice in terms of like unique challenges they were facing from kind of your outside perspective? What was some of the things that you were like, okay, I'm already sniffing out these big areas that I know I'm going to be able to tackle. Um, what were they? And then what, you know, how did you overcome them? Some of those early, those early ones. You know, I'm a big believer. I usually, and it paid off here too. I'm always a big fan of the back to basic strategy. Right. And a lot of the times when companies need to grow. So the background on the company was that it had shifted investors. So prior to me being there, it shifted from another investor to Toma Bravo. So a private equity company and Toma Bravo is not your average private equity company. They're growth minded. Okay. They're aggressive. Everybody wants profitability, but they're really pushing growth. Okay. So that's a big shift. And the company wasn't necessarily on its front foot on growth in the past. So you had to change the way you did stuff. And I'm used to that. Like that's more of the kind of marketing and the kind of business I've been part of. So you have to look at what you have. What are your fundamentals? How does sales work with marketing? How do leads flow? How does advertising connect with anything else you do? Just look at the, how do the people interacting? How does engineering connect with it? And you look at it and just get the basics set up. So part of it is just doing the work. It's that assessment phase of, you know, what are the connections? What's the basic map? If you can't draw it on one page, you should be able to, okay, connect the dots. So I think that was a lot of it early on. I knew it was before I came in because I interviewed so widely and we just made some basic connections come back again. I mean, and it, everybody was ready, willing, and able, like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bad thing. And I'm doing the same thing now with product. I'm getting the product strategy wired into the go-to-market strategy and getting the engineers wired into sales and a process way as opposed to in a random way right so where does that come from this this kind of this idea that you know keeping things simple and i also know that simplicity often is what scales organizations just like going back you to, have to, to the basics but where does that start for you like where's that is that like parents encouraging you of like keeping that or is that more engineering stuff question because to go to keep that as your you know like especially being a guy in tech you know where it's yeah. like you're like no no let's remember this foundational basic the basics let's go back there first it's a great question so there's probably I, I'm, I'm sure it's a stair step right so there's probably uh -huh. a couple of milestones like my dad he could fix anything he was the most practical guy on the planet and i'm pretty good like i can i can build i can do build a house right i can i learned a lot of things from him he's 
And he was always about the basics. If you can't, you know, measure twice, cut once, make sure you've got, you know, he, he just was very, very deliberate in what he did because he didn't like making mistakes. Okay. And mistakes always created rework. So I guess that's where it started. Okay. okay. Very, very simple. Like, you know, clean behind your ears, measure your lumber correctly, get to school on time. You know, I, I, that was just, he was just really straightforward on that stuff. Wow. It could be harsh too, but you know, just but stick to the basics. So that's where it started, I guess. And then I started like everybody does in more growth stuff, growth oriented things, everything growing 30, 40, 50, 100% a year. A lot of things get covered up in a high growth environment. Uh Um, But when you get more, when you get, I guess, deeper in your career, I, I think startups or turnarounds, you know, things that require a little bit more gray matter to do, almost always there, it's a breach of the basics. And I had this theory that in order to get to the next level of growth, the next platform for growth, it's all about making it understandable executable and then you can grow and add on top and if you don't do that simplification phase you got nowhere to go and i've done enough turnarounds now where that's absolutely true like you end up with let's say you buy two companies or you buy five companies and you you know everybody goes crazy everybody runs it up until it levels off and then you're like gee i guess what we didn't integrate these things we didn't think about use cases above there's no way to connect them you're not going anywhere right so you got to simplify it you got to make it understandable then build on top right that's the way i look at it so my understanding is that Flexera is fundamentally about helping companies optimize value concerning the money they spend on IT. What are some interesting ways that you're explaining and marketing this? Well, it's more, one thing is more than just about the money. The okay. money, everybody cares about the yeah, money. Jim was talking history. about follow the money, right? Yeah. Yes, he yeah. is. There's no question. You can't have it, but it's also about the risk. So when you think about okay. what we do, it's this combination of saving and risk because you can save yourself into higher risk you can be so conservative you'll never save anything so we like to balance those two things the way we market is we're we're really customer centered imagine right so we we have some very key customer groups we have some traditional ones some new ones we want to open up and we try to connect those in buying patterns right in sales plays in ways to think about how we market so we we get really I would say really deliberate. We try really hard to understand our customers, to understand our targets, intent, like at a really deep level, like really get to know them. So for example, we have a traditional, what we call the asset management space. It's these days housed in either IT, usually in the tech part of the business, or nowadays in security. It can actually migrate over in security. We have to know those folks really, really well. They've been with us for years, a lot of them. They've saved lots and lots and lots of money with us. We're moving with them over into the security vulnerability space. That's what we do. We got, you know, so we have to understand a market to them because they've been with us. We keep driving more value, more innovation, all that stuff. Our next side, like they're also being challenged with the cloud teams, clouds everywhere, SaaS or infrastructure. And they have a whole different budgeting thing. They have a whole different set of economics. They got permission to do kind of not whatever they want to do, but they're all about velocity, responsiveness to the market, all that kind of stuff. And guess what? They often forget about cost. They often forget about P&L. They often are upside down. And so we're, you know, I guess in an extension, trying to bring them into the fold because eventually they're going to be pulled back into the discipline of asset management, the discipline of cost management and optimizing. So that's another area. And then the other thing we do is we go high. So we think about the adjacencies, security over here, cloud over here, and then going up the chain where we think following the money and following like the impact right now, procurement for us is a huge, and not that many people sell to procurement because usually they're selling against procurement because procurement's negotiating, right? right? 
we want to be procurement's best ally because in procurement, at least the strategic thinkers, um, they're really, you know, they're service organizations into their company. They're almost like consultants into the business units or into the business itself on what's the most strategic, the most optimized way to go spend. Where do you spend? Where do you spend the most intelligently? How can we consolidate? How can we grow? And so we can help a lot with that. And so that's an up-leveled message that we're really driving into now. Mm. So we, we think about it in terms of the spaces, very deliberate, and then the levels. And then, you know, we wrap it in a big, a big vision, basically. What do you do about this seemingly kind of, it seems like this, this rising customer expectation that's certainly in the past year and change. Sure. What are you doing to tackle this? Well, a lot of things. So I, I'm an actual true believer in, okay, so another thing about my dad, okay? So my dad had his own company. I grew up in a, a family business, okay? So I was the chief factory worker, sales assistant. You know, my mom was the accountant. It was it was kind of a mess, but I, I learned day in, day out how to be part of a business. And my dad lived and died by his customers, always. And in fact, my dad passed away, actually a number of years ago, over 10 years ago. You know, my mom and I had to like call his customers. He's still working. Wow. They stuck with him for decades. Wow. Yeah, you think, yeah. It's, it's, what kind of business was it? He was in felt manufacturing. So he, wow. which is a... It, it's a long story, but he 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 was in, and it's kind of it's a textile, and but it's an industrial textile, and he had steel case was a client, you know, fa- um, packing materials, polishing materials. It's really interesting business. You would you'd never think it. Yeah, total B two B. He was totally on his customers. He loved his suppliers. He loved his customers, and they just carried him the whole time. Okay, it was cool, and so I just believe that. And why I went into engineering was because I like to make stuff that people used. Every mm-hmm. engineer I've ever met, worth their salt. It doesn't, even, doesn't even matter how much money they make. It's that people use their stuff and they think it's cool. That's the thing. And so from a marketing point of view, I love the fact that everybody says, hey, SaaS is the way to go now because you have an intimate relationship with your customer. Well, if you didn't before, you won't now. You have to have it. And I think SaaS just brings it out into the open. Okay. So I think you need to know everything from, and, you know, they have intention up front all the way to usage an expansion of use, adoption, usage, the whole thing, that's all got to be one view, right? And we're actually pulling it together in the company right now so that we can tell when, you know, we have to be here for years, but every expression of interest in something new from one of our customers, we don't do it to go bomb them with phone calls. We do it so that we understand what else they might be needing in their products. When they buy the product and use it, we started to invest in, oh, how are they using it? What are the things that are good and what are bad? How does that inform the value proposition? So I, I just think it's fundamentals again. It's hard because yeah. separation of concerns, you know, traditionally we've divided all that stuff. There's at least three or four handoffs typically in that. We're actually trying to bring it all together. Wow. And then you think about today's like B2B buyers. I mean, they're anonymous, they're fragmented, they're resistant. Mm-hmm. How do you kind of engage and communicate with them these days throughout this journey? Because I mean, you're again, you're, you're selling a big ticket item as well in sure. various sizes. What are some of the ways you're kind of in this, you know, 2022 world engaging with this with this B2B buyer? They always call it customer intimacy, but understand your customer really well. Manage relationships in- intentionally. We have a great customer advisory board. I haven't I was amazed when I came in. Keep them close. Listen to them. Yeah. Build them into your development efforts. Build them into your marketing efforts. Every time we do a messaging, for example, when we do a messaging change, we call up a set of customers. We validate every time. We validate in the market, right. we, with analysts, but for sure with customers because we want to get 
We want to really get what they're doing and why they're buying it. Like we just really need to know that. Then when you're talking to prospects, I think it's all about authenticity. You take what you have from your customer base and you translate it into the market. I don't think it's Raz, you know, it's not the razzle dazzle that used to be. You have a little sizzle, you got to have vision, you mm-hmm. have to give them a place they're going, but you do it in a really authentic way. So you talk to the professionals that are going to use your product, you en- engage them with your content, you, but you make it real. You don't, it's not all just sizzle. Wow. Are you using like technology around like intent and these sorts of things? We're starting to. Yeah. We haven't done it so much in the past, but yes. Really? Okay. So we're starting to measure intent on the front end. Interesting. It is. And it's, you know, that's all correlation stuff. That's not linear, but we are. Okay. So expressions of interest, intent is starting to become a metric for us. Okay. But that's, you know, it boils down into the funnel and and beyond. Right. And we're also starting to link the funnel and the opportunity pipeline because we have accounts that have multiple branches, mul- you know, multiple okay. transactions, all that stuff. Sure. But linking that all the way into the customer success system, that's still, we don't really have that full end to end done yet, but boy, we're trying. So for, for marketing specifically, are there any kind of new strategies you're implementing or thinking about implementing? Well, yeah, I mean, a ton. Month by month, <laughs> I'm a big continuous improvement guy. So every month, number one, we're trying to be really, really very, very data-driven. Like, And that's, so, again, platitude. Everybody says it. But the data has to be meaningful and actionable, right? To get to a level where it's not just data and reporting saying whatever, what does it actually mean to you? So it goes from reporting against targets and thresholds to you know introspection, analytics, patterns in the data, that sort of thing. So that's the level at which we're at. I think we're pretty good at you know, understanding the flow, you know, flow data across our organizations. You know, we're in that place, we're connecting the orgs through that. That's good. Now we're trying to understand what those patterns mean so we can understand propensity. We can understand when they're willing to go do another thing with us, when they're willing to go be be given to an event, who would be a good attendee at something like, you know, so we're trying to do that. So that's a strategy. You know, we really want to understand the patterns in the data so that we can target the right thing to drive value for the customer. Sounds very high level, but. Are you doing any experimental marketing at all? Like they're tr- doing things that are maybe a little more a little crazy, yeah, a little crazy out there. You know, I think um, one of the things that we're doing, I don't think we're, we're not a very crazy company. So first off, we, we deal with a lot of times the people are financially oriented. Okay. So one of the things about our software is when the hands are on the keyboards, what comes out of the analysis is, is generally either risk analysis or savings analysis. Even though we get into operational workflows, it's a little bit different than operational software that you know stamps out widgets, right? We don't quite do that. So our users are a little bit different, um, and they're relatively conservative because they're dealing with money. And we save people, you know, material amounts of money on a yearly basis. So um, we're a little more conservative, I think, in the way we approach them because it's more appropriate. But one of the things that we've noticed, for example, in our world given that a lot of the savings are material, okay? One of the things we don't bug our customers about is is direct attributable references, which is in a B2B world, like those are lifeblood. And we get lots of references. However, the vast majority of our references are, I can't share that because it's material to my business and my I, I can't do that legally by policy. So we we instead try to club them, not club them together, but get them to work together in community at a high level. And then we use, you know, just the distilled stories from that, the distilled examples, the aggregate data, those kinds of things. That's not experimental, but it's a different way to approach it. It's more like 
approaching it like a banking kind of, you know, it's very rare that one of the large investment banks is going to just you know, talk about a client, right? Sure. Nobody does. Sure. But they talk about the outcomes and they talk about, uh-huh. so we spend a lot of time on outcomes and we want to make them as real as possible, but we don't, we don't compromise their, oh. their privacy and their, you know, what they need. Who are the buyers? Is it CTOs, CIOs, like? All of the above. So again, in the asset, we, we, in asset management, there are, there's a category of buyer around asset management. Mm-hmm. They're often in the, it could be in the IT chain, the financial chain, the procurement chain, okay. but they're a defined buying center. Okay. It could be in the security chain as well. That's, that's kind of at the practitioner, you know, the hands-on keyboards, traditional folks. We sell to cloud teams, cloud center of excellence and okay. cloud products. And we sell up in the C-suite with our high-level messaging and our overall Flexera One product. So we do okay. all three levels. Are you doing anything with C-level initiatives that are inter- we interesting? We do. I think so. So um, we've got Jim traipsing across the country. So we actually invested. One of the new things we were doing, and I don't think it's experimental. It depends on what you mean by experimental. It's not experimental. But because of the way we sell, and because of the value, we actually launched a pretty strong C-level, I would say, initiative this year. It's a definite line item in what we're doing. We started at the beginning of the year. So we're working with some, there's some very cool CIO, CTO level communities in the world. Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. engaged with those. Um, We have a very, we don't market to them in the sense it's more relationship management. It's intersection relationship management. We put our C-levels in those communities so they can learn something and interact. So think of it as like amped up community marketing at the C-level replaces the old direct mail which we don't do. So I think that's cool. We, our, our customer advisory boards are full of high level. They're very high level. We're thinking about splitting those because we have so many folks on it between the different levels, ah. but they're like SVP, VP level kind of people. That's a really strong community effort. We do a lot of high touch marketing there. And then the thing we're experimenting with is how to distill some of those lessons and some of that high level value down into the more practitioner level or the lower levels in the organization. That's where we're actually experimenting. Mm. So yeah, I mean, doing a lot. We're doing most of our C-level in North America right now just because of travel is still hard sure. to Europe. It's not, but we'll expand in Europe later on this year, I think. Yeah. Where do you see Flexera heading in the next few years? I mean, how do you anticipate working to kind of continue supporting Flexera's goals? You know, one of the things, so when I first started, one of the early wins, and it wasn't the first, it was a 90-day plan was we put this thing together called PVSM, Product Vision Strategy and Messaging. And it was a end-to-end project where we were pushing, we used our beginning of the year kickoffs as the, as, so I, I joined in September. The deadline was kickoffs in January, basically. And how can we line up across the organization, everything from our strategy down to our, you know, create a real vision, a modern vision, and then drive that into messaging that we could use marketing, sales, customer success. So we did that. It was really cool. And we, you know, my view being my background, another thing is I'm super collaborative. Okay. So like, I like, we went as a team hundred percent. So we brought a team in, we got salespeople involved. We got marketing folks. We, everybody got involved, right? We, and they were, it was again, real collaboration. We made sure everybody was represented and we came up with some really cool messaging. And the thing we challenged them to do, we had a regular messaging track that talked about, you know, the next couple of years you're investing in this product here's what you get, here's core use cases, here's core vision, here's where you're going to, outcomes, all of that. But then we also did a five-year and we said, look, it's it's way beyond just what we're more in the thought leadership. And here's where these investments are going to lead you eventually. 
okay? And we gave examples in each one of our core, this is what this looks like, and this is what convergence looks like, so and so. So that was really cool, and that worked out, and that allowed our salespeople or our executives or anybody in the company to go out and say, it's not just about the here and now and what we're doing this quarter, it's all about what we're, we're taking you in you know, three, five years. Wow. Which is kind of cool. What's your relationship with velocity and, and growth now? Being the CMO, of course, being mm -hmm. responsible for the growth, having access to the creative geniuses on your team, the collaboration that you, you know, you're, you have all these ingredients okay. to make a really great growth pie. You know, in the world we live in, it's like, gotta go faster, gotta go, let's get oh, yeah. there, right? So how do you, what's that dance with like for you with just growth and, and speed of how, how you're getting it's there? It's all agile, man. Okay. It's all agile. So I, again, my engineering background, decades ago, I, I dove into agile. I wasn't the, I was in a company here in Austin um, called, it's legendary in, it's called Motive Communications. And I was in the Motive Labs for a little while. I was working with an engineer and we did XP. We, you know, and I was product manager it was awesome. And so he, I'd never forget when he showed up, he's like, I had 25 requirements on what we need to go do. He goes, give me one. I'm like, what do you mean one? He goes, prioritize it. I'm like, I can't. He goes, yes, you can. And so he was like, I learned. And then we, I did some other work and scaled agile in enterprise level. We're doing, so I've been agile for a while. It is all about agile and agile is so overused, but it's, it's the most disciplined, transparent, it's almost like clockwork. Agile is almost, it is the manufacturing system for software and it's the manufacturing system for most things that are process oriented. Like mm -hmm. it applies everywhere. So in marketing, you know, we use agile techniques. We time box things on a monthly basis. Like our MarTech stack is, an app, is, a, is a very big composite application, okay? Or set of applications. And if you look at it that way, you know, you're not gonna, it, Rome wasn't, was, you know, didn't happen in a day, right? You just take your time and you give monthly deliverables, monthly, you keep Kanban boards, you know exactly where you're at and you don't BS yourself that you're ahead of, you just are really incredibly real about it. And what you find is you get better as you go. Every month you accelerate and you get more and more and more. So whether that's data and reporting or whether that's systems and system building and constructing end to ends or updates to the routing table or new tools to help us look at customer usage or research, all of those things are put in that kind of an agile cadence and uh, we build it based on a vision and an architecture and, but you do that for the company and just as well as you do it for the tools. So you feel like that allows you to, to just be okay with the speed. There's some CMOs that have this kind of personal, like, it doesn't matter what they have. It's like, they just want to go fast. They want to go fast, yeah. you know, but you seem like you, you have this rigor, like to your approach to, to you know, agile and all right i'm going to say this i say this to people all the time another platitude but i love this so i'm a big fan of arnold schwarzenegger I am, uh, me too. for lots of reasons he's a great right? guy lots yeah. of, he's, every he's a real human being but he has this saying because you have to relax to perform you you, you kind of if you're running around and yeah you know if you're going to one single funding event or liquidity event or there's one you know you got to get it down the field and score the touchdown i get it right go really really and this doesn't mean you can't do it at pace but if you want to do pace at scale which is what we're talking about here, you have to be deliberate. A, you got to be data-driven. B, you got to simplify every chance you get. And C, you can't expect to get everything right every time. It's too big a system, okay? There's going to be chaos in the system. You've got to understand that it's not perfection. So I'm way more into the incremental at a clip rate that's fast, mm -hmm. but continuous improvement every month, right? Mm -hmm. Or every week if you want to go okay. to that level. So what metrics are kind of have you prioritized in your role? Like what are the things that you're looking at day to day, week to week? Like do you 
like when you get up in the morning and you're and you're in the workflow, what are some of the metrics you're looking at on a daily, weekly basis? So we do different levels of metrics. At a high level, it's really flow of business, flow of leads, flow of opportunities, okay. and customer satisfaction on the other end. Okay, we're starting to work on intent on the front end. We'll hit the trifecta. You know, we'll hit the whole end to end soon. Okay. But right now, it's mostly on flow of business, flow of customers through the system, flow of prospects through the system. That's, okay. but the other thing I look for really strongly is engagement. So my other metric is engagement. Mm. My opinion anyway, everything you do in marketing doesn't matter unless you drive engagement. Mm -hmm. And so we like to structure how we think about that, whether that's brand level, that's content level and everything in between, right? So, so that's the other thing we're building right now. I wouldn't say we're hyper sophisticated on it, but we have built a content effectiveness, you know, measurement system. And, you know, that's connected to the flow. So we have both the vertical you know, measurements around specific content types, specific content timings, what all, all of that with the horizontal flow across campaigns and across, you know, leads and opportunities and so on. You built your own content effective management system? We measurement are. system? We're, well, we're using, we're using what we've got. No, okay. we built the stack. Yeah, we are. Wow. Uh-huh. That's really cool. We're not, we, well, we have, we're users of a CMS, but this is more effectiveness. It's not, so okay. we really want to link it between, you got to link how your content is used in campaigns. And not just that it's that it's there, but that it's engaged with, okay? And you got to keep pushing those metrics up mm -hmm. every week, every month, every year, for every campaign. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what matters. And that's a little different than, hey, it got downloaded, or hey, it exists, or hey, right. it's linked, okay? Okay. What are your thoughts on the metaverse? <laughs> I love the metaverse. I mean, you know, I was a, I tried Second Life back in the day. You're the second person who mentioned Second Life. Yeah, this Second week. Life. Yeah. We way yeah. ahead of, well, it's the metaverse. It's the same thing. Uh -huh. There's a guy. There's a program. Uh, yeah, it, I mean, Second Life's cool. We used to do meetings in some companies in in Second Life just to see if people would be more transparent, which is really kind of more of a symptom of a problem mm. than fixing it. Mm. Never, it didn't work. It has its place, you know. It does, and I think uh, maybe not in a business to business context outside of some forms of collaboration, maybe. Yeah. But in a consumer context, for sure. Okay, for sure. Yeah. I mean, do I think the current incarnation of the metaverse is everything? No. Is it good enough? Maybe. I don't know. But I do think it's going to have its place. People enjoy having avatars. People enjoy having a degree of abstraction from reality. It's it's recreational. Mm -hmm. So to ignore it would be at your peril, I think. I am curious about the B2B side of it. You know, like a, we talk to a lot of brands that are yeah. in that space and it seems like a lot of curiosity. They're all sitting at the table, you know, yeah. and talking about it, but I haven't heard any use cases really that's like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, if you're selling to a consumer business that's big on the metaverse, there's some implications sure, there potentially. Sure. But yeah, I haven't seen the application yet in B2B really. B2B is still a person-to-person -person reality show. So Let's talk about hiring and kind of high-performance teams. Yeah. You know, companies, a lot of companies are benefiting from this kind of historic talent transition. Yeah. Now they also have to retain it. How are you tackling this in, in 2022? Purpose. Like which end, hiring or retaining or both? Retaining. Look, knock on wood, okay? Usually what happens with me, when, every time I come to a new company, some percentage of the team quits immediately because they see me coming. And I'm not a terrible person. I think I'm actually a kind, fair person. But I also am demanding. Like you, like you can see from my dad, every month we get better. We keep trying to get better. And so that doesn't appeal to everybody, okay? So some run away, which they should, and some really aren't meant to be there to begin with. But I'm really proud of the fact that it's not my teams, our teams are really loyal, like they hang out. And it, it's this degree of 
I, I think it's a purpose thing. I think it's feeling of meaning, collaboration, getting better. But there's also flexibility. There's also, like we had a guy on our team, a, a number, not a number, a couple of them, who really wanted a more flexible arrangement. They were like, look, I want to go marketing side. I want to go freelance. While I love the corporate world, believe me, it's not really, it doesn't really get me up every day and I would like to move. So what did we do? Well, we freelanced them and contracted back and they're still in their positions, right? You have to have that sort of, and I would say they're doing even better in those, in the positions that way. And they have really important jobs for us, but they have the flexibility that they want. And so you have to be open to those kinds of different arrangements. We're doing a little bit of um, upworking and bringing in contingents, swapping in and out, but mostly that's, we're still more of a higher build, drive collaboration, drive team kind of shop. And that's been working. What's your stance on hiring an agency versus? Like occasionally I'll use an agency, but I haven't in years. Honestly, I I haven't in years. And I haven't been recruited through an agency in years myself. Okay. I just don't think it's as authentic. So I like to... The other thing, like as a as a leader, like when I one of the other things is leadership. I always coach all the folks on my team. They're all leaders, right? Everybody in marketing or in product management, they lead virtual teams. People follow them, right? Because they're leaders of strategy or of execution, one or the other. So, getting that kind of culture is important. You got to walk the walk, right? You can't just talk to people. So, I get involved. You know, like I get in. Like I'm not, I'm an empowering manager. But if they need me, I'm there, right? I try to be. I mean, nobody's perfect, but it's getting involved with it. And when they need a decision, being there with a decision, if you need a consult on this or that, or what do you think? I'm always there for that. And it, you have to be intense like that if you want to build that kind of culture. If you're going to be more standoffish, there's some cultures that work great on that. Like there's plenty of cultures that do the Hollywood model and it's, you know, I'm bringing in and bringing in a cast of, and, and that's, there's nothing invalid about that. But what you'll find is that in the Hollywood model, everybody travels in packs. They all hang out with each other. Mm-hmm. You know this right? You work for the same directors. You want to work for the same producers, right? right? You don't, it's not random. Wow. Like I was years ago, I did this thing. I just came to mind. I was working for IBM, all places. I worked for IBM. I worked for IBM quite a bit. And I was in New York shooting an episode back when they had it of IBM TV. Okay. And it was cool because I got into the CBS studios over there on 12th, I guess, over by the Javits Center. So all good. I'm a young kid. I'm enjoying the teleprompter. It was really fun. And I get out and we go to the diner for lunch and then the crew is there and they're just talking about stories of this job, that job. And I was, I was a kid and they're like, oh yeah, we've worked together for decades. I go, but you're not working for the studio. He goes, no, no, no. We contract to the studio, but we always work the same gigs because we love working together. They had a million war stories and a million people who they didn't want to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just the labor market. And you got to be one of those people you want to work with. You got to be one of them. Again, simple and really, and really important. I live by it. Like I really do. And like, I will take people like uh, the network doesn't end in the job. So like a lot of times I mentor a lot of people. I, I almost hate that word. It's kind of overused, but on Sundays and sometimes during the week, I do a bunch of calls with people and we're working on career. We're, you know, I'm at the place in my career where I can help people out constantly. I love doing it. It's wow. so much fun. Yeah. They're doing it. So it's this virtuous network. You keep this authenticity with how you're, how you, how you are as a, as a leader and a father and like who you are, it's like, this is who you are. It allows you to be successful because you're being authentic. My daughter has told me many times, don't be like such a boss, dad. You're my dad. I'm like, well, I'm one person, <laughs> for example, for example. Um, so on the culture tip, you've worked at some awesome organizations. You've have, you have an, yeah. an awesome career. 
Was there anything different about the culture of Flixera that you were like, hmm, I haven't seen this type of thing before or something maybe you brought that that was different in that? You know, like I love Flixera. I really do love the culture. I'll tell you, it's, it's one of the reasons, because again, you can tell in your first interviews and you can tell almost right away if it's legitimate or not. Uh-huh. We have like six cultural points. We won't go into all of them, but my favorite one is candor. Okay, the idea of being yes. out there, being being real, not being offensive, but being real and being transparent, and like getting it, putting it on the table, and that's really hard to do for people. And we encourage it a lot. Sometimes it's you know when you're they're introverts and extroverts. It's real easy for extroverts, right? Yeah, will they'll, they'll tell you anything, but for introverts, it's hard to get them to do that. But when they do, ah, you know gold. It's those the really rich interactions. Um, we keep score all the time. We're constantly about results. I'm all about results. And everything we do, we do monthly. We don't just do activities. We do results, right? We start with results and we back into activities. So it matters what we, what we produce, what the outcome is, as opposed to what we do running around, you know, speed versus velocity, basically, right? You want to get somewhere. Um, you know, those are two we, we celebrate. It's a positive culture. It's not a, it's not a punishing culture. It's not about what you didn't do. Although the gaps matter, right? That's how you solve problems. But it's when you get there, you're like awesome, right? And you actually spend the time to celebrate. So, I love the culture in Flexera. I've really enjoyed it. And in other companies, I think other companies have been more, um, I would say, product focused. Maybe we have a really strong element of customer focus. Some have been more technology and product focused, and that can be fun if you can connect those two things. Right. We're probably again, we're more in the financial outcome space as opposed to one product connecting to another product in a stack and APIs. Right. We do that, but it's not the focus of the outcome. I've enjoyed that in some companies that are engineering driven, but engineering with a purpose. That's mm-hmm. been fun. I was at a company here again. Um, it was a company in Austin called Motive Communications. And they were really had they had that balance. They they were both keeping score. They were like SaaS before SaaS was cool in a lot of ways. And we had to be customer connected. We had to drive end to end. And we really cared a lot about our products. Like we were really very engineering heavy. And I like that because my background, right? I like product. Are you also into sports? Like competitive? Yeah. 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 I am. In okay. what way? What do you mean by that question? Well, did, did, did you, I guess, yeah, because it seems like there's all, of course, you have a competitiveness too, as a, which I pick up on, sure. which I would expect a marketer to have that competitive. But is yep. it, is there a through line through sports in high school, just an appreciation of sports? I had weird this? sports. So I'm a weird, so my dad was an immigrant. Okay. okay. So I'm okay. German. He was German, European. So while everybody else in Canada, I am the only guy I know that grew up in Canada, and this is like a true confession, who did not play organized hockey. Okay. Because my dad said, I'm not paying the dental bill. You can play on the street, you can skate around, and, but you can't do real hockey. I'm like, oh, dad. So I skied, I did soccer, okay. I did tennis, was a big sport, and I was competitive in all okay. those. Yeah, okay. I liked it. I do. I like the thrill of the... Sports is great. I love sports. Yeah. Let's do some lightning round questions, some fun questions. All right, questions. let's go. Lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce. For those of you listening, we appreciate you. Uh, marketing Trends Podcast is sponsored by Salesforce. When you think about marketing and engagement, learn more at salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question, are you ready, Roy? Let's go. Okay. I'm ready. What are you personally betting on for the future? The intense for the, my business, the intense use of technology and driving businesses forward. Personally, um, authenticity and living life in a consistent, authentic way. And that's serving you well for my seat. 
If you had to build a marketing team tomorrow from scratch, mm-hmm. what role are you hiring first and why? That's a great question. I would, from a marketing team, I would hire creative. Okay. And the reason I hire creative is because marketing is at the end a creative endeavor and you're sparking people's imagination. If you don't have that nailed, that's what I would do. And I would want, to, I, I would want somebody who's better at creative than I am because I'm not the best. Okay. I love it. I always hear a different answer when I ask that. So that's yeah. great. It's fantastic. Wendy's and Chipotle join a growing number of companies exploring the potential of virtual worlds. We talked a little bit about this, but mm-hmm. what, do you, what do you make of this? Well, there's a difference between you know near meat and a virtual burger, okay? It depends on what you're trying to do. Interaction with the brand, I completely understand that. Leading them into a virtual ordering experience, but don't take it too far. Right, okay. What impresses you? Um, people impress me. Authentic, visionary people. People who are enthusiastic, people who are passionate. That really is what impresses me. And being able to connect with them either at one-to-one, you know, in a virtual way or in a community. I really love that. If you had access to a time machine, where and when would you go? I would go to 1966, oh. which is the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs won the Stanley Cup. I <laughs> they might have won it in 67. Okay. I'd like to experience that before I die. Okay, okay. <laughs> I just had to say that. What is success for you? I have success. I, success to me is a balanced life, authentic, balanced life. Happy kids, at least, you know, kids in this fray, you know, kids that are doing all right. Um, a good relationship, good relationships around my core family, being involved in the community. I really do feel successful. I used to tell my kids, hey, we're rich, even though we weren't financially, especially when we had lots of them, because we were rich with love. We were rich with each other. We were rich with our, the friends that we had. So I feel successful already. Mm. What's your favorite app on your phone? ESPN. Okay. What's a skill you believe everyone should have? Communication. The ability to relate. On that note, if you could effortlessly pick up a new skill in an instant, what would it be? Ooh, skating. skating. I can always be a better, I would lousy skater. Roll ice skater or roll? Ice skating. Okay, okay. I mean, that's a silly answer, but I would, because skating is hard. Okay, okay. But in a work context, I think I'm good with data. What I'd love to be able to do is read data, data patterns better. There are those people that can read aggregates of data, slice it and dice it in a way they, real true analysis and synthesis of the data. You know, I, I could be better. at. That's good. I like that. Last question, what is one thing you'd like to do this year that you haven't done before? Travel more. Okay. Yeah. Any, anywhere want to go? Um, I don't actually care. To be okay. honest, I'd like to, actually, to be honest, I'd like to get back to Canada and I'd like to go to the mountains. I haven't been in the mountains in a while. Well, Roy, thank you for being on the show. This was an oh. awesome conversation. This was such an honor. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate it you coming in. Uh, thanks for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends 
to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.